The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. The great American poet Carl Sandburg, also Pulitzer Prize winner, he said that poetry, poetry is an open door. That's what he said. He said poetry is a door. In other words, when you read a poem, you're invited to look through the door into the reality that the poet is trying to portray for, for just a moment. And, and for a moment, you can, you can see everything that he or she wants you to see. And then just as clo- quickly as the door opens to you, the door shuts. Just a glimpse. A door into a new reality. John's Gospel is poetry. It is an open door to a new and beautiful reality so that for just moments we can can see our reality. We can see Jesus. In fact, this this is His modus operandi you might say, John doesn't give all the miracles of Jesus. He gives a select few so that we can see, and then he takes us deeper and interprets the miracle for us. And that's what he does here. He, he helps us to see, and this is my prayer today, that, that we would open up a door so that we can see trouble, but not just trouble, but God's better purposes in trouble, a door to that reality for just a brief moment. John opens up this door on Jesus, this, this glimpse on Jesus in, in the most normal kind of way. He, he invites us into Jesus' daily life. And what we see right away is that how Jesus walks through God's creation. And it says that he saw a blind man. And I want you to feel, I want you to see the depths of Jesus seeing. It's like that word, he's a pregnant word, because what comes right after it is a guy who cannot see at all. In fact, from birth, he could not see, but Jesus saw him, and we don't see like that. Not usually. We, we see people only on a surface level at best. Or at worst, they're like, people become in New York City like a little obstacle course for us to get around. Like we, we see, we see somebody's, I don't know, their loud t-shirt, but we don't see the lifetime of abuse at home. Or we see the fashionable purse, but we don't see the fact that she goes home and she's lonely every single day. That's how we see. We barely see it all. This, this came home to me not too long ago. There, there, there's, there's a homeless man, a houseless man. Is that what they call him these days? And he lives right up here, right on the street. And I, I was moving my car for street sweeping. And every once in a while, we'd have these little conversations. His name was John. And there I was. I was running past John, and he called out after me. I, I didn't see John, but he saw me. He said, Tim, Tim. You're carrying something today. That's what he said. 
He saw me, but I didn't see him. That's how we see so often. We just run past people. But Jesus saw a blind man. The disciples, though, they're like a foil. They they serve as like this, this indecent backdrop to the way that Jesus sees because they look at the man and they don't see him at all. In fact, this for the disciples, this guy, he, he, they flatten him. He becomes like a, a, a theological proposition, like a time for them to talk about theology, theodicy and why God is there suffering in the world. They looked at him and all they saw was sin. That's what they saw. They said, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man? Like like they they want to try all their little theological theories out on them. Like, Jesus, is it true? Is it true that, that you can sin in utero? Like, is it true that 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 Cain was destined to be the way that he is because he attempted murder of his brother in utero. Jesus, did he sin that he was born blind? Or was it his parents, Jesus? Jesus, did, did the parents deserve to hold their newborn son in their arms and when they held him up to the light, his, his eyes didn't even blink? Jesus, did they deserve that? And it's like they're leading the witness. They assume that the reason that this guy is blind is because of sin. I I wish I could say that we've moved past this way of viewing the world. Flattening out, assuming that it's because of sin. But I don't know that we have. I wonder if Christians deep, deep down, instead of believing in the doctrine of grace, they believe in the doctrine of karma. That, that if we put good out into the world, we'll get good back. If we work hard and make the right decisions, that, that all of a sudden life will just go well. Karma. And, and the opposite is also true then, that, that if we put bad out of the world, if we make the wrong decisions, if we put ourselves in the wrong relationships and we make the wrong choices, well then we're going to just get bad back. And people believe this, see. I can prove it to you. There's a beautiful uh, Broadway musical back a, a few decades now. I'm going to date myself. It's called The Sound of Music. Maybe you've heard it before. And one of the most moving anthems in the song is, is when the two lovers, they get together and they celebrate their love like two butterflies and they can feel it in their stomachs and they're so happy about it. And then they sing this song called Something Good. And this is what they say. They say, somewhere in my youth or childhood, Can you finish it? I must have done something good. They thought they deserved it. They they thought they deserved to be, you know, walking through that meadow and deeply in love, staring into each other's eyes. Something they must have done right to to be able to, to merit that 
moment. We, if we put good in, we get good out. If we put bad in, we get good, bad out. It's really nothing different than a disciple's theology. Or the wicked friends of Job. Job, you too deserve this. We want to believe this deep down, that the world works this way, but it doesn't. I want to give you three reasons this morning why this is just wrong on its face. First of all, if we actually believe that the world works this way, this will create in your heart, just as quickly as can be, it can, pride. Like, if you're looking around, you're like, wow, God, my life is going pretty good. I made right choices. I worked hard. I went to school. I did all these different things. I did this. I have a good relationship. I have a fat bank account. I have good relationships. And that's because I did that. And, and i got to tell you that, that it, this is the quickest way to cut yourself off from dependence on God and rely only on yourself. And I also have to tell you that it, not only will it ruin your relationship with God, it will ruin your relationship with your neighbor with your friends and your family. Because human beings, you know this, human beings can sniff out, they can sniff out pride like a dog can sniff out a meatball. And nobody likes it. It's, it, it's wrong in its face because it causes pride in our hearts. But it's wrong for another reason. It, it's wrong because it isn't truthful. Not even reasonably. Like, why, why do we assume that it's because of what we did that we have so much success in life? Couldn't it be because of because where you've been born and to whom you've been born and the circumstances in which you live? It's not even reasonable. And, and more than that, and more importantly, theologically, it just cannot be right. According to God's law, think on this. What do we each deserve? Because of our sin. Not God's congratulations, but His wrath and condemnation. And it's wrong according to the Gospel. Because the Gospel says that because of what Jesus has done for you, God gives good things to people who simply do not deserve it. That's God's fatherly heart. And finally, it's wrong because if we believe this, if we believe in it deeply in karma, it makes us cruel. It makes us cold-hearted. We look at people's circumstances like the disciples, and we actually become little judges. Like, look at them here. They are absolutely judging the man. Do you think that they said it within hearing distance of the man? Like, hey Jesus, did he sin? Think of this. In their hearts and their minds, they have to. Maybe they didn't think it all the way through. But what they're really saying is, Jesus, we didn't sin like that. Thank goodness, because we're not blind. Wow, does it make them cruel? I want to tell you a story. Somebody told me this story. This person was about to go through a series of significant surgeries. And their church sent over the prayer team. And they said, we want to pray for you. But before we do that, we need to ask you what you've done wrong. 
So they, they started to do this kind of inventory, this little history of all the sins that this person may have committed. I listened to this story and I said to the person, what did that do to you? When they made you think that you deserved this. And the person said, it devastated me. You see how cruel that is? To believe that people deserve their circumstances. You know, Jesus' response to all of this, he does something I think that's unusual for him. And what he does is he says, no, you're wrong. I mean, look, look, at, look at what he says. Look at what he says. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So he rejects this kind of thinking out of hand. He's like, your circumstances do not lead to pride or despair. You cannot dig into your circumstances and always come to the conclusion it's because of my sin or because of their sin. You cannot do that. Jesus said, neither this man nor, nor his parents sinned. They did not deserve this. He rules it out. And instead, he opens up a door to a new and better way of understanding trouble. And this is what he says. This is verse 3. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the, the better purposes of trouble is what? So that your heart can become, in a sense, and your life, in a sense, can become God's construction zone. So that the works of God might be displayed in Him. And then Jesus, He goes on to, be, to show just what these two works of God are. I, I think of them as at least two works of God, and there can be more. But here there's at least two. The first thing that Jesus does, He does something strange. And he, he gets down on the, on the ground, he spits, and then he, he takes the mud that, that he makes from the spit and he, he sort of puts it on the man's eyes. Now I've got to tell you that, that nobody believes that this is sort of, some sort of medicinal patch. It's not. Nobody, nobody thinks that, 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 that this is like Jesus' version of a facial. Like there's some kind of medicinal, um, you know, medical doctor kind of value in it. Nobody actually thinks that. But do you see what's happening here? The creator of the world. The one who made heaven and earth is bending down onto the ground and the same hands that formed Adam with, with the ground, the, the, with, with his own hands, are, are, are digging into the ground and taking that same ground and making a sort of holy patch. And then Jesus says, go and wash. So at first, to the naked eye, nothing happens. That's important. He doesn't heal him. But he does saw something amazing on the inside. You see it? He gave him hope. 
He gave him new faith. This man had so much faith and hope that he gets up to do exactly what Jesus said. He's thinking to himself, maybe, just maybe, this is going to be the cure. So he gets up and acts on it. So the first work of God in the middle of trouble, and this is a massive work of God, is that He would raise up inside, this is a work to the inside, spiritual gifts like hope and faith and love. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He also does a work of God to the outside. And He does heal the man. He restores the sight. Now, this is, this is very important then. And I want you to hear me. This is, this is very important for our lives. When we get to trouble, this is what John is teaching us. This is what Jesus is saying. When we get to trouble, we're not going to think, oh, I must deserve it. We can't know that. Instead, what, what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is to begin to ask a very important question. And it's this one. God, this is the first question, God, what work are you doing to the inside? How are you trying to, to, to change my character? How are you trying to raise up my hope and my faith in you? How are you going to show up, God, to your glory? I... C.S. Lewis, I think he says it best. He, he wrote this. He said, imagine yourself a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, you cannot understand what he's doing. He's, he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking about the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What is, on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here and putting on an extra floor there and running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were going ma- to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. One of the better purposes of trouble in life is God doing one of His divine works to the inside. But also for us to begin to hope that He also will do a work to the outside. You see, I, I, I think that sometimes in the, in the Lutheran church we forget, like, He's just going to save my soul and I'm going to be in heaven one day. He'll do that. He's going to do so much more. He's going to restore all of you. Like this, this, is, this is new hope that He will restore all of creation, which means, which means that those of us who suffer debilitating pain, who struggle with, with, with severe depression, those of us missing limbs and who can't hear and who can't see, will have a particular joy one day. 
A particular joy in this sense that, that your joy will be greater than those of us who have fully equipped bodies on this side of things. The same joy of a man who was born blind who could now see. In, in my family, sometimes we have this conversation. My, my sister has Down syndrome. And we have this conversation and we, we say, you know, what's it going to be like for Elizabeth on that day? For the first time, she won't have Downs. A particular joy that, that you won't understand and I won't understand either, but she will. A full and complete restoration to the inside and then to the outside. You see, it moves always from the inside to the outside. This is the glimpse. This is the little glimpse that, that we get today. It's that open door. You see it now? Just for a moment, we can, we can look through the door and we can, we can get it. Or like another poet put it, it's like lightning in the night. Like lightning in the night where, where everything is dark and then for a second the lightning goes and, and you can see the contours of the land. You can see the path where it goes, but then all of a sudden the, the darkness settles back in. That's what it's like. And even as the darkness settles back in, what we've just seen is Jesus. How, how he, he works from the inside out. How He bled and, and died for us. And, and for the moment, for the moment, we can see. Amen. Please stand.